You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Welcome to our study through the Book of Acts. We're calling it, We Are All Witnesses, Part 2. I want to invite you to grab your Bible, turn to the Book of Acts, and get ready to study God's Word with us. Hey, you're going to need your Bible today or your Acts books. Growing up, I was a fan of the best basketball player of all time. And uh, I know everyone knows who that is. It's, it's Michael Jordan. And uh, I, I wanted to be like Mike. You guys remember the commercial, Be Like Mike? <laughs> that was me. Uh, but Michael Jordan was an amazing player. And I say that he was the best of all time because he was not only a great player, but he actually changed the game as well. Like when he came into the league, he was the only one that would wear his shorts long. And so now today, everyone wears long shorts. He also got the game of basketball so popular that other countries were interested in playing it all of a sudden. He was the first to have a major shoe contract, and, and now it's like, you know, just a no-brainer for uh, if you're a decent player, you get a shoe contract. But he was the first to, to have the big shoe contract. I remember as a kid, uh, a group of uh, my friends and I would go to this place called Grand Slam, and Grand Slam was an indoor batting cage uh, facility. Uh, but they also had these basketball courts that you can rent but you could lower the rims too. So we would lower the rims so that our height was comparable to the height of an NBA player on a regulation rim. And so we'd be playing full court basketball, man, we're coming down court, we're like trying to dunk on each other, we had slam dunk competitions, but each time before each of us went up for a dunk, we'd be like, Jordan, Jordan. We were all trying to be like Mike. And it's true to some of you. You probably tried to emulate uh, an athlete of your time. And it's primarily because we imitate those who we admire. And that's what we're going to see in the text today. Thus, the title to today's message is Multiplication by Imitation. And so if you can head on over to Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. When the U.S. government decided to build the first transcontinental railroad, they asked two railroad companies to help them in this venture. One of them was the Central Pacific, and then the other one was the Union Pacific. And so the um, Central Pacific started laying track around Sacramento going west. And then the Union Pacific started laying track around Omaha, just a little west of the uh, western part of, all, of Iowa. And the goal was that they would meet together in Utah. Here you have these railroads that are merging together to create something great 
for our companies, country. And the railroads at that time was vital in the expansion of America. And this was new technology. It connected people in the way that transformed America and transformed the lives of the people in America. City populations were multiplied. Uh, there were new discoveries and new hope and new beginning. And we see the same thing happening in the church in the book of Acts. You, you have these two lanes, lines of people moving together, that being the Gentiles and the Jewish people. And each group was being led by their foreman, Paul and Peter. And so if we look at Acts chapter 9, a little bit before the text that we're going to be in today, you'll see that the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they were being built up. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord. And uh, they were being comforted by the Holy Spirit. And through that process, they multiplied. And so as we arrive in the text today, you'll see even more multiplication occurring as Luke takes up the ministry of Peter. And so let's jump in the text and let's see what it says in Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. And last week, if you remember, we left off with Paul. And so Paul is going to go into the background right now. Uh, the church of Jerusalem has sent him off to Tarsus. And so this week, we're going to be focusing on Peter. And Peter is on the move. Peter is on the mission for Jesus Christ. And Peter is going to those who are in need. And that brings us to our first point. If the church is going to multiply, we have to go to those in need. And we see that in verses 32 through 35. It says, now as Peter went here and there, here and there, amongst them all, he came also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and take up your bed. And immediately he rose. All of the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. Luke says that Peter went here and there. He doesn't really specify what here and there is, but what we can deduct from this text is while he was going here and there, he was encouraging the believers in the area, and he was winning new saints to Christ. And the area that he was working in is here, in, starting in Jerusalem, and then we see him here in Lydda. And then in future texts here today, we're going to see him go to Joppa. And then in chapter 10, he's going to go to Caesarea. Paul has been launched way up there, about 600 miles northwest of this territory. But what we see here in the text is Peter moving about and he's doing the work of the Lord. He's not set up in some office somewhere saying, hey, I'm the, I'm the head of the church, so let me just camp out in my office and like come up with a plan. No, he was on the ground moving, which made it easier for God to direct him in that process. 
Peter was seeking out opportunities to affect change in the lives of the people that he encountered. When we seek out opportunities to do that, when we go outside of our elements and seek out people to minister to like Peter did, we're able to see God moving in those situations. As followers of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, are we affecting change in the areas around us? We have to ask ourselves, are we affecting change in our neighborhoods? Are we affecting change in our families? Are we going to those who are in need of Jesus? I'm sure many of us can uh, share stories about situations that you see and you're just like, wow, that's a tragic situation. Or you see someone who has fallen or they just continue to have, it seems, bad luck all the time. And I'm sure there, you can reflect on those moments and you can just say, wow, they just need Jesus. <laughs> and that's true. When D.L. Moody, the founder of Moody Bible Institute, passed through the cities of uh, Britain and Ireland, he left behind a list of Bible institutes and evangelical associations and missions and revived churches and revived lives. How many broken hearts were comforted? by D.L. Moody? How many broken lives were mended? How many broken homes were mended because he went outside of the four walls of his organization and went to new areas to plant churches and plant institutes? And that still continues today. Many of us have benefited from Moody Bible Institute, either uh, through the teaching that you hear in this church or through uh, the Moody Bible radio that is broadcast here in our city and across the world. God used Peter to do that. God used D.L. Moody, and God wants to use you and us as well. It says that Peter came down to the saints in Lydda. Saints are believers, so all of these people that he had came down to were already Christ-professing believers. And so we are all saints in this room today. I'm St. Ramirez, and that's St. John over there. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a part of this saint community. We are all saints. And so he uses this term, he came down uh, to the people in Lydda. And uh, it suggests that he came down from a higher elevation because Jerusalem was about 300 meters high and Lydda was about 30 meters above sea level. And Lydda, or also known as Lod today, a Lod is the Hebrew translation for Lydda, and uh, Lod is in existence today, so Lydda is still there today. It's located about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And if you've ever flown into Israel, a few of you have just recently, you've flown into Lod or you've flown into Lydda. It's the site of the Ben-Gurion Airport near Tel Aviv. And Lydda at the time was mostly Jewish and had a mixture of Gentiles but notice what the text says here. It says that Peter found Aeneas. 
didn't say that Aeneas found Peter. It says that Peter found Aeneas. And this word found here in the Greek means erisko, which means to find after searching or to find after you have been looking for a long time as so to discover something, in this case, someone. It's clear that Aeneas had a need. He had been in this situation for eight years and he needed help. He was stagnant. He wasn't able to move forward. He was useless, unable to walk. He was probably a burden to his family and friends because they had to carry him everywhere he wanted to go. You ever feel this way sometimes? You ever feel like you are not moving forward or progressing in your relationship with the Lord? Maybe it's been 12 months or two years, or maybe you know someone where it's been three or four years. No matter how much time it's been, there's no amount of time that will prevent the mercy of God from making us whole. Aeneas' disease was incurable. He couldn't restore himself. And no human physician could do anything for him. But it was through Peter's action to intentionally seek him out that made him whole. And then by faith, bringing him to the ultimate healer of Jesus Christ. Notice that Uh, Peter didn't say, uh, by the powers designated in me, I make you whole. No, he said, in Jesus' name, you are whole. Rise and make up your bed. He said, make up your bed. So this signifies, or it, it shows us that he was instantaneously healed. There was no rehabilitation needed. He didn't have to go through months of work. He was instantly healed. Sometimes parents, it seems like we, as parents of teenagers, it seems like it takes a miracle to get your teenager out of bed in the morning, right? Like even from sleeping overnight, it takes them a minute to get up. But this guy like rose up immediately after being paralyzed for eight years. And that just really speaks to the wonder working power of Jesus Christ. Note the miracle was immediate, it was permanent, and it was perfect. Notice also that the lame man obeyed Peter immediately, indicating that he had some element of faith. I wonder if maybe he had some knowledge of Jesus Christ, or maybe he heard some murmuring about this Jesus, and when he heard the name, he immediately acted on it. It was almost like Peter was saying, you've been healed, now prove it. Make up your bed. Everyone in this room, I believe, can say that they are a professor of Jesus Christ. They are prof- you have professed faith in Jesus Christ. But is there any proof of that? Is there any fruit that we are yielding in our faith in Jesus Christ. God, Peter, God put Peter on the path of this man. And yes, 
Peter gave this man a physical healing. But ultimately, he gave him something so much better. He gave him eternal salvation. Not only to this man, but to the people in the region. It says that they saw and they turned. This man that was known to be paralyzed was now walking, giving evidence to the people that God can heal, that God can raise up and restore the fallen. Our walk in this world should be evidence to the lost that Jesus Christ saves. Notice it says that they turned, and this is a picture of repentance. It's a picture of a heart and a mind that's changed. It's a picture of conduct changed. They are all different people. Many of us have surrendered our life to Christ, and I wonder if some of the people that knew us before we did that can say, wow, there's something different about that person. That person is completely turned. That person is completely changed. And if that is true, we have professed faith in Jesus Christ and we have turned, then we should have this heart of compassion that we're seeing here in Peter. Are we going about in Jesus' name? Are we going to those who are in need? Or are we ashamed? Remember, Peter, this Peter, is the same Peter that was ashamed at one point. This same Peter was the Peter who denied Jesus three times. But here we see that the Holy Spirit has completely transformed his heart to where he is no longer ashamed. He is fully on mission with the, for the Lord and nothing is gonna stop him, not even his lack of experience. And that brings us to our next point. In order for us to multiply, we have to have faith beyond our experience. And we see that in the text here in verses 36 through 39. And it says, now there in Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas, she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, urging him, please come without delay. So Peter arose and went to them. And when he arrived, he took her to the upper, he, they took him to the upper room all of the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. I want to take a pause here on Peter and roll into a little cul-de-sac here for a minute. And I want to talk about Dorcas here, if we can. If you notice here, it refers to Dorcas as a disciple and this is the only reference of a disciple to a woman that you're going to see in the New Testament. And that's pretty amazing. When you think that this title was not given to Martha, it wasn't given to Mary, 
It wasn't given to Priscilla or any other woman. It shows that Dorcas stood out as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. She was so devoted that only the disciple description is used to define her here. It gives you a sense that she was all about the needs of the people. It says that she was full of good works, which is a picture of her abounding in good works, that being steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord. That is the picture of Dorcas here. I picture her as continuing to do good works, like constantly moving on. It says here that the widows were showing Peter the tunics that she had made for them and the other garments. And this is very unique because during that time, uh, widows were considered very vulnerable people because they were without their spouse, their husband, who was known to be their protector. And so widows were near and dear to God's heart. In fact, in Psalms uh, 64, eight and five, it describes God as being a God that who is a father to the fatherless and a protector of the widows. So God recognized the widow's flight and rose to their defense. And so Dorcas's deeds of kindness and charity gave clear evidence of the genuineness of her conversion. In the book, The Conspiracy of Kindness, <laughs> uh, pastor and author Steve Shogren states that while less than 10% of Christians have a spiritual gift of evangelism, 90% have a gift of serving. His church was involved in what they call servant evangelism. And this is where they washed cars, they cleaned toilets, they shined shoes, they grilled hot, hot dogs for their community with no strings attached. During these explosions of kindness, they have seen many people so moved that they eventually came to church and eventually came to Christ. That's the principle behind Serve Our City here at Harvest. That's the principle behind the Hope Center here at Harvest. Yesterday, we had our Thanksgiving outreach, and we had about 200 families from the community in the lobby of our church, and the line stretched from this door all the way to this wall yesterday. We provided them not only with meals for their family, but while they were waiting in line, they received breakfast. We also took their custom coffee orders while they were in line. We gave them hot chocolate. We made balloon animals for their kids while they were in line. And as I was going up the line, I came across this lady who her face was red and she was consumed in tears to where she couldn't even talk. And it took her a minute to answer my question of what's wrong. And she said that she was overwhelmed by the kindness. And she also stated that she used to attend Harvest years ago and that she was going to come back to service here. 
This is why we go outside of the four walls of our church. It's for these purposes, to combine the 10% of evangelism with the 90% of service, equaling 100% of the body of Christ doing the work of Christ on this earth for such a time as this. Dorcas's death left a huge hold, hole in the church of Joppa. It says here that the widows were weeping and they were showing evidence of Dorcas's good deeds. While professional mourners were uh, hired often for uh, Jewish funerals, and uh, it's little doubt that these women might have been professional mourners. But these women were mourning out of a sense of grief, meaning that they too were impact, impacted by Dorcas's kindness. They were showing the tunics and the garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Harvest, only what we do for the Lord will last. We don't know anything about what Dorcas has said, what Dorcas said, but we do know what she did. Her life of servanthood spoke loudly. Dorcas did what she could when she could. She made those tunics and garments while she was with them. Harvest, let's not put off for tomorrow what we can do today. We need to get busy about serving the Lord and serving God's kingdom while we can. Good intentions never helped anyone. We can have a heart and a mind of uh, thinking about things that we might want to do, but how is that going to impact someone's life here and now today? Dorcas's life was a living testimony of her faithfulness and of her fruit of the Lord. What are we leaving behind? And I'm not talking about material items or life insurance policy, but what are we leaving behind for others to see? Like, what will people say at our funeral? What will our eulogy be at our funeral? You know, being a pastor, I get a chance to witness a lot of funerals. And uh, there was one uh, brother here in our church whose father passed away and uh, one of our pastors delivered the eulogy. I did not get a chance to go to the funeral, but um, our staff member who was there was so moved by this man's testimony that he came back and shared it in our staff meeting. And you have a room full of pastors who are blown away and just like, wow, I need to step it up a little bit, myself included. He lived, this person lived a life of service to his family, to his community. There was testimony after testimony sharing about how he gave glory to the Lord through his actions to others. And we see that here with Dorcas. All right, back to Peter. And this is where we see faith beyond his experience. Notice here in verse 39, it says that Peter rose and he went. That's a picture of immediately. That's a picture of, it wasn't like he, he was like, 
oh, wait, hold on. You know what? I've never done that before. Uh, Let me pray about that and see if that's what the Lord has for me to do. Or he didn't say, oh, well, you know what? That's not my gift. I've never done that one before. I don't know what you expect me to do. No, he immediately acted. He didn't say, I'm not equipped for that. He got up and went. And upon his arrival, he got to work. As long as there is a need or an opportunity for followers of Christ who have been saved by grace, we are called to go before we know. Knowing that the Lord is with us because whom much has been given, much is required. We just have to have faith that God will provide and that he is at work in us and that in doing that, we will see amazing things happen. I promise you, Harvest. So Peter had faith beyond his experience. You know, yesterday morning, I had a conversation with one of our volunteers who were serving, and uh, she was sharing to me the blessing that she has experienced by leading a small group. And it wasn't a small group here. It was a Christian Bible Fellowship, and it's a group of women that meet from different churches, and they come together, they open up God's Word together. And uh, she, she said one day, she was just thinking, Lord, I wish I had an opportunity to do more. And I don't remember the time frame from that moment to when her phone rang, but her phone rang. And someone offered her an opportunity to lead a small group, this Christian fellowship group of women. And she said, Ramirez, it's been such a blessing. I didn't even think that I would be willing to do this. We're in the book of Kings, and I'm learning so much about the book of Kings. This has been such a blessing. She's able to witness the goodness of God in her situation by just going. Faith beyond experience. Our third point and last point, in order for there to be multiplication in God's church, we have to do what Jesus did. And we see that in verses 40 through 43, It says, but Peter put them all aside, them being the widows, and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and he raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. He presented her alive. But notice when Peter raised Dorcas. He didn't do it before a crowd. He was not looking to receive the glory in this situation. He wanted all glory to go to God. He didn't seek publicity. He just sought to glorify Christ. 
Notice it says that he kneeled down and prayed. He didn't claim to raise the dead. Peter has seen Jesus raise the dead. But no, apostle had performed such a miracle at this point. While Luke doesn't record Peter's words, clearly his prayer showed submission and dependence to God, the giver and taker of life. And we see the same thing happen when Jesus leaves Lazarus from the dead. He spent some time in prayer first, and then he raised Lazarus. When we go out on mission for the Lord, we have to seek help so that his perfect will can be done. Peter raised her up, and many believed. And immediately, Peter's like, okay, that's done. What else am I going to do now? (laughs) He moved on to the next thing immediately. In verse 43, it says that he stayed in Joppa many days with Simon the Tanner. And you have to understand, uh, a tanner is considered an unclean individual because of their work. They dealt with dead animals. And so a tanner at that time would be comparable to a tax collector. And we know that Jesus hung out with tax collectors, right? And so now we see Peter hanging out with the tanner. And so according to the laws of that time, a tanner had to leave, live 75 feet outside of any village or city because he was considered unclean. So for a Jewish man to accept the hospitality of a tanner was unthinkable because of the fear of him becoming unclean. And the fact that Peter was willing to stay with Simon, not just overnight, but for many days, suggests that his spirit was beginning to work in him to change his heart about the significance of clean and unclean. This is exactly what Jesus would have done. Going to the unwanted, going to the marginalized, going to the isolated, and bringing them the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God saving a sinner, whether it is a notorious sinner or a moderate sinner, although it is a miracle that when people come to when people come to Christ, guys, that is a miracle. And it's no less than what we see here with the healing of the paralytic and raising Dorcas from the dead. God wants to use us to bring the miracle of faith in Jesus Christ to the people that we meet. We need to remember that the gospel is nothing less than the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Harvest, do you believe that? There's people that are around us. There's people that are in our community that need to know Jesus. Peter went to those who were in need and he believed. He believed that through bringing them Jesus Christ, that these people can be made whole spiritually and in this case, physically as well. Peter did exactly what Jesus did. 
You know, some of us really excel in this expression of servanthood because God has given some of you a special ability to serve. Perhaps you're a quiet practitioner of acts of kindness like Dorcas, or maybe you're like Peter and you notice the needs that others don't notice, and you see the joy in meeting those needs. This is one of the most important evangelic methods because the service style evangelist touches the people that no one else can reach. Serving others breaks through the cynicism and a helping hand can soften a hardened heart. Whether it is making meals or making clothing or hanging drywall or changing someone's oil or serving at the Hope Center, or greeting at the doors of our church, or ushering someone to their seat, or serving and harvest kids. Whatever you do requires us first seeking the Lord and praying and asking him to lead us, but without hesitation. If I had a dollar for everyone that, and it's not here, I'm talking about other people, I'm not talking about you guys. If I had a dollar for everyone that I asked to serve and they're just like, oh, I don't think that that's my gift, pastor. Or let me pray, let me ask, the, let me seek the Lord and see if he says the same. I can guarantee you, if you are doing work in God's kingdom and serving in his church, he's okay with that. So we who are Christians are no different from others in that we are chosen for a greater honor on this earth. We are different in that we are chosen for greater service. All right, Harvest, we have been saved to serve. So let's get to work. There's lots of work to do. And whether we witness through evangelism or whether we witness through delivering a meal to someone or serving in the Hope Center, all of it works together for God's good. And that is our aim, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, either through word or deed. All right, let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it directs us on the plans and purpose that you have for your church. And so God, will you allow these verses and these words spoken today to penetrate hearts? May we be on mission this week as we uh, spend time with our families. God, I pray that you will give each of us the right words to say at the right time that might provoke change in the hearts and in the lives of the people that you put us in front of. God, we thank you for everything that you've done in our hearts. But God, we're thanking you and praising you for everything that you are still yet to do. God, we love you and we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. For more information and how to get connected to one of our campuses, go to harvestbible.org. Tune in again next week for another edition of the Harvest Bible Chapel podcast.